So this morning, we're going to look at after and in the middle. And this afternoon, we look at at the beginning and before. And what's the connection with this and mindfulness meditation? So let's look at mindfulness meditation as actually an exercise in not grasping or letting go or creative engagement. And that also, again, match a little bit with these stages. So I presume most of you have meditated before, even if you have not been on a Gaia House retreat or Gaia House online. Uh, nowadays, most people seem to have done mindfulness to some degree. So what, do we, what are we asked when we do mindfulness meditation? The first thing often we recommend it, if it suits you. I mean, if you are asthmatic and focusing on the breath is not a good idea, you can focus on the body. If focusing on the body is not a good idea, you can focus on sounds. So you can use the breath or you can use the body or you can use the sound as a focus, whatever suits you. But the idea in meditation is to actually a little exercise. And the exercise is actually to use a point uh, in the experience, an object in the experience, and try to stay with it to some degree. It doesn't mean to stay with it totally all the time but to actually come back to it again and again. And actually just doing that is cultivating, letting go, non-grasping, creative engagement. Because as I said before, most of the time we are quite fine, we are quite calm, we are quite open, we are clear. And then it's like suddenly we the, there is outer condition, inner condition, which makes us either become stressed or go into what I would call automatic limiting patterns who can be harmful to ourselves, harmful to others. And the impression we have when we have this reaction, this reactivity, is the fact that in a way we can't stop it. This is what is interesting. Like you can't stop saying something unpleasant or you can't stop possibly being a little aggressive or you can't stop uh, being afraid or you can't stop being anxious or etc. etc. Or you can't stop talking sometimes. Uh, you can't stop talking. You have some people who can oh, suddenly they, they, kind of, they talk all the time. Or you have some people who cannot say anything and cannot stop in a way being silent. So in a way, it's kind of like we, are, we don't feel free flowing. It's like a kind of we're a little stuck. And so in a way, it's kind of like we're a little kind of caught in the pattern, in the rigidity. And so what happened when we do the meditation? What happens is that generally we sit in meditation, we try to be aware of the breath, the body, the sound. 
And then, of course, people know that their mind will go all over the place. So you're little on the breath. And then most of the time you're going to think about something else. And then you're going to come back to the breath. And then you're going to go away again. But then if you explore what is it that takes me away, and generally what we see is that generally things which are fairly repetitive, kind of some kind of worry or some kind of project or some kind of idle thought or some kind of whatever. And so in a way, what is interesting is that when we go into this thought, we go into, I would say, our mental patterns. And when we come back to the breath, actually we're working on letting go. And in, in a way, we nearly, we could say, working on the stages. And so sometimes we realize, oh, I was away, but you're already back. This is what is interesting with after. The stage of after is when you've gone through the loop and then you're not in the loop anymore. And it's like, ah, I am free of that loop. And sometimes that's all we can experience when we meditate. So you see the breath, the breath, and then you go into a story or a loop. And then it's suddenly like, oh, you're back with the breath. And the loop has stopped. And that, I think, is very interesting. It's really, we have to see that although we were caught in the loop, at some point, the loop stops. And why that? Because of the second important element of meditation, which is to be aware of change. And so when we are in the after stage, we actually see change. We see that, oh, I was caught in this loop. And now I am not angry anymore. I am not sad, fearful anymore. I'm in a more, one can say, friendly, creative state where there is more possibility of creativity than being stuck in the loop. So that's what I mean by after. And so in a way, coming back to the breath allow us to experience this after. That I was in the loop. Now I am back with the breath. Ah, hmm. And then, in a way, there is kind of a, a bit of this calm, a bit of this clarity, a bit of this openness. But then we go in the loop again. And when we caught in the loop, and that's very interesting, because as we meditate, we can notice that actually the thought have different intensity, different density. So in terms of the after, again, if you have very light thought, you after all the time. You have a thought and before you are caught in the thought, you're back. So you're in this after. Ah, I let go but it was, you were able to let go, it happened by itself because the thing itself was not very dense, not very intense. So, ah, I'm back with the breath. Then there is what I call the habitual level. And the habitual level, you're sitting there and then you see yourself planning, 
or you see yourself ruminating or you see yourself counting or fantasizing, whatever it is you have a tendency to do. And in the, because it's a little more dense and it's something which is a little more kind of catching, you could say. It's like you're planning and you realize possibly you have planned this already five times, maybe you could let it go now. But there is that, hmm, that, hmm, kind of like that density of the habit. And then it's kind of hard because you're where you are planning, you're where you are ruminating, and you cannot not actually stop it. So you're going to go a little more <laughs> till in a way you reach the after. And this, I would say, is the most frustrating. It's because you sit there and you see yourself planning or daydreaming or whatever. Like when I was, uh, I used to write books and not so much anymore. So I used to be sitting in meditation and planning kind of this wonderful title or this wonderful paragraph and very entertaining. And then I would find myself doing it. But there was part of me which you say, oh, it's juicy, it's great. And, and then later on, over time, I realized I would never use a title. I would never use a juicy paragraph. So it was basically entertainment. It was not even useful. So then I could catch myself. Oh, I am doing this. And then I could let it go. But just the seeing of it is already a letting go. So you're not totally caught in it. You're aware, ah, I am doing this. In a way, you're aware, I am caught. And then, okay, I am caught. Let's be caught. This too will be impermanent. This too will change. And I will experience after where it's gone. So in a way, when we're sitting, often we have that. Either it passed by itself, or we are in the middle of it and we see it clearly, and it takes a little longer to disappear. Or something just happened recently, and then it's really intense. And so you can really see you being caught, but you have to see this is normal to be caught if you have had some intense experience, a loss, or something surprising, or something happily surprising, or something painfully surprising. And so in a way, you have to digest it. It has to go through your system. And so in a way, in the middle, when we are in the intensity like this, is just to see, okay, okay, of course I feel strongly about this. Of course I am caught right now. But at some point, these two will pass. And so just seeing it and just being with the breath for a few seconds does not stop it, but actually helps us not to amplify it. So we could say that in a way, in part, meditation and the letting go in the middle is what one could call a de-amplifier. So the thing does not disappear. The thing has some energy, has some density, but we see it and in a way we acknowledge it, we accept it. And through that, 
we're not feeding it more. So it will continue a bit, but we could say not as much. And then also we give ourselves, when we see ourselves in the middle, we also can give ourselves just a little break by coming back to the breath, even for a very short time. So the intention is not to fight with the intensity because it's just there and there is condition for it to be there. So we're not trying to be above condition, but we're trying to creatively engage with condition. And so then we briefly come back to the breath, the body is the sun. And then of course, because of the intensity, we might come again in the middle. So you know, when we sit in meditation, it's the same as when we're in daily life. Because in daily life, we can see the same. In daily life, something happens and oh, yeah, it's on my mind or it's in my heart or it's in my circumstances, but hmm, it's okay. You know, I can deal with it. And then generally it passes. And then we feel without the difficulty, we feel without the density has gone. The second one is important, the middle to see, oh, this is going on. And so it's very kind of important. Oh yeah, I am, this is going on. This is what I'm experiencing right now. I am angry, I am sad, I am fearful, I am excited, whatever it is, but this will pass. It will not pass yet, but at some point it will pass. This I think is very important. Otherwise the difficulty within the middle is the fact that it feels intense and it gives you the impression it's going to last forever. And this is what's so hard to suddenly this is going to last forever. And we experience this because of the intensity. It's a little bit like if you do body scanning, if you're just aware of the body, you're just aware of sensation, which is one of the method of the meditation. And for example, me, I'm a little allergic. So sometimes I kind of itch. And so sometimes I sit in meditation and I feel an itch here. And so what I do, I normally, you know, one is tempted to scratch it and everything. But what I do is that I go inside the itch. And if I go inside the itch, I have the impression that it's so itchy. It's going to last a long time. And that's why then I would need action. But what I have learned, not all the time, but most of the time, what I have learned is to just be with it. And then it passes by itself. And what I found so interesting is that when it was there, I had such a strong impression that it's going to be there for a long time. But then very quickly, it's so gone. So in a way to be aware of these two impressions, the impression it's there, it's intense, it's going to last a long time. And then the next impression, it's gone. 
And I think that's in a way the two experience of letting go after and letting go in the middle. In a way, letting go after is like, ah, this is finished. So it's kind of like deep breath. We feel, ah, this is finally, this has stopped. And so one can rejoice it has stopped. But then the one in the middle is a little more difficult because of this intensity, this, ah, it's so there. And if I feel it so there, how can it stop? And so in a way, part of the meditation process is to actually, just by sitting here, just to be aware of change. My thought change, my sensation change, my feeling change. And then over time, and we look more at this this afternoon, this can be extended to condition change. I am not the same all the time. Other people are not the same all the time. Doesn't mean we change every second. In the next minute, I am very unlikely to become a pink giraffe. That would be can really do something to the law of physics. But yeah, in the next, something could happen to me, like, I don't know, a heart attack or whatever. But generally, there is a kind of a continuity. There is a certain continuity. But within that continuity, there is change. Like for me, for the last three days, I have been so busy because I was taking care of my mother a full time because the carer was not uh, arriving. And then I did what I had to do because that's what was needed. But I was super busy. And then she arrived. And today, ah, good. I can totally be here and take care of you and be with you. So I knew what I had to do when it was full on. And now it's gone. And I don't need to keep it. I don't need to worry about it. When I was in it, I was doing it full time. And I did not worry about today whatsoever. I thought, let's see what happened then. And then now I am with you and I can let go of that and don't worry about it at all. So in a way, there is these two things to, that when we do meditation, we focus to one level to bring calm, stability. And at the same time, what is really also essential is over time to really be aware of change, like the little change, big changes, so that it dissolves that tendency that if it's intense and more dense, it's going to last forever. And then that really stuck us, limits us. When, if we know, oh, this will change at some point, maybe not right now, but even if I don't amplify it, it's already kind of helpful. And then slowly by itself, it will change. So this is really kind of the two element in meditation, which also in a way 
connect to this total element of after and in the middle. So that's what I wanted to talk about uh, this morning, to really look at mindfulness meditation in terms of coming back to the focus as a means to experience after, also being aware of being caught in a very friendly, gentle manner, just seeing that, oh, I am planning, I am ruminating, whatever it might be. And then, oh, coming back to after, just being with the breath. And at the same time, this movement of allowing us to see change. At time, I can be calm. At time, I can be caught. So just to be aware of that, that's what I would suggest for the morning. So if we can uh, stand up and just stretch for a few seconds, and then I will do the guided meditation. So for the meditation, you have the four postures. So you can sit on a chair or on the floor. You can lie down if that's what you need for your body. You can stand up if it's better for you. And of course, uh, if you really need to move, you can also do slow walking meditation. I would recommend sitting, standing, or lighting down so you can kind of, uh, but if you need to walk or do some movement, this is also fine. So whatever works for you, uh, for your body, because all we have different circumstances. If we sit, on a chair, on the floor. Then what is important is that the back is relatively straight. The shoulders are open and relaxed. Then we can have the hands on the thighs or the hand in the traditional posture or just in front of us. Then we can have the eyes closed, the eyes half closed or open. Again, what suits you? As long as you don't tense the hand, tense the eyes, just, and if you have the eyes half open, just gazing gently in front of you. So no stress in the body, in the eyes, in the hand. What we need is just to, up to a point, to be relatively upright. So we can start with really having a feeling of elongation, the head going a little bit toward the sky. And then up, we settle. And first, if it suits us, we could gently 
rest our attention on the breath. Listening to the echo of the sound of the bell. Feeling the air coming in and out of the body. We focus on the breath within a wide open awareness. In the foreground, there is a breath. The sensation we experience when we breathe. The air coming a little cooler through the nostrils. And then coming out a little warmer. And in the background, an open awareness, sounds arising and passing away, sensations, feelings, thoughts. Appreciating being aware of the breath, resting on the breath, resting in this moment.
if you are if we are caught in a loop a plan a memory a worry a daydream can we just be aware of it in a friendly manner and then when it passes coming back to the breath resting in the breath resting in the moment Now being aware of sensations. Some sensations are just fleeting, very brief. They come and they're already gone. Some are more there. How does it feel when they're there? Does it feel like they will last a long time? 
Can we be aware of their passing at some point? And if we have a sensation which lasts longer, can we go inside it and experience that it changes also within itself? And that it also come and go. Or we might just have a basic experience of the body just being okay right here, right now.
Now bringing our awareness, our mindfulness to sound. Just listening to the sounds around us, inside us. And noticing how they arise and pass away. And if a sound continues a little bit, going inside the sound and noticing how it changes within itself. Can we listen to sound as sound without going into loops around them? Noticing how perception can change our grasping or not, letting go or not of sound. The traffic, car coming by. Oh, I don't like engine noise. But if we think of the driver, who might be a nurse taking care of a patient, or somebody transporting essential goods. So that change the grasping and the letting go.
Now coming back to the breath, resting in the breath, resting in the moment.
So if we want to stand and stretch just for a minute, and then we'll have the discussion. So for the discussion, uh, you can either unmute yourself or we can unmute you. You can also raise uh, the blue hand if you know. So either you do this and we'll try to catch you or you know how to do this and then you raise the blue hand or you can make a comment. So either a comment or a question in the chat. So it's whatever suits you. So uh, ask, I was curious uh, that you oh, introduce thinking into the hearing, thinking about a car being driven by a nurse. So this is something I'll talk a little more about uh, this afternoon in terms of letting go. One of the letting go, which I find is very interesting, is in terms of perception. That according to how we perceive something, we're going, to, we're going to continue to grasp or we're going to let go. So if uh, somebody is making a noise and you think, oh, they're just doing it to annoy me, then generally the loop will go on. But if you realize that they're making a noise because there was a catastrophe and they have to repair something or whatever it is, then you will perceive the noise in a different way and the letting go will be, uh, will be able to happen. So this is in a way, uh, one of the things that uh, is very interesting about meditation, I would say is a fact that it allows us to go a little beyond what I would call a pure reactivity. I don't like that noise, regardless of the condition for which the noise is happening, for example. And uh, what I noticed during COVID-19, uh, when there was a first confinement in France, I mean, there is a road uh, near me and there would be much fewer cars, but there still were cars going up and down. 
And when I was uh, teaching and doing the meditation with people, I was, I became very aware that actually most of the drivers were really not aimlessly driving, but actually they were essential worker. And in a way, kind of, I thought it kind of really shifted in a way my relationship to some of the sound. So that's why I mentioned that in terms of how our perception. So in a way, basically what I would call our exploring. Because you see, perception, uh, yes, it is thinking. But perception is also, for me, exploring the condition that are going on now. So I would not look at it as abstract thinking, but really kind of what's going on now? And am I perceiving everything that I can perceive of the conditions? Or am I perceiving a very tiny thing? And this is what I'm reacting to. But if I was seeing the wider conditions, then my reaction could be very different or my letting go could be very different. So this is why I mentioned it because it's kind of bringing a little bit of what I'll talk this afternoon, which is very much about conditions. So I became aware of how tiring the thinking loops are. It was a relief to find rest on the breath. I think this is something we notice. As we meditate, at one level, yes, thinking can be occupying, can be entertaining. But personally, I feel at one level is kind of really using electricity, kind of our neuron functioning. And maybe, maybe we could use them in a more kind of uh, useful way. And so in a way, when we come back to the brace, it's like, ah, okay. It's nearly like I don't need to think and reflect all the time to exist. I can just exist by just being with my environment without necessarily kind of, you know, looping. But it doesn't mean we cannot think. And to me, this is in a way what the beauty of the meditation, I see it as very much the focusing, having these four aspects. One is that I don't feed the habit, I diminish its power, and then that's allow me to bring it back to its creative function. So if I want to think skillfully, usefully, then I can. But I am not going to be lost in a loop, which actually will use lots of energy, but often for little purpose. And so I can use all my energy when I need to, then I leave it. And then you have the fourth aspect, which is coming back to right now, resting in the moment, creatively engaging with the moment. And I would say, yes, I mean, personally, I find it quite restful. Then David, I know everybody is sending the, their comment and question to me privately. Actually, Generally, it's better to send it to everyone so then everyone can see your comment. So do you perceive a difference between letting go of the day-to-day -day things which frustrate us and the bigger life event that occur in our life? And do you perceive a difference between letting go of emotion 
physical feeling and thought. This is a very good point, uh, which I also was thinking uh, in the same way, in terms of, in a way, what you could call this micro letting go as we go about our life. And then you could say this bigger letting go in terms of what happens to us at different times. And as you say, major event. And I think, again, it's back, you could nearly say it's back to the three level of light, habitual, and intense. So light stuff, I think meditation will help us to not make into habitual stuff and big stuff. It's light. How long does it last? This is a little bit uh, what became my mantra at some point, was if something happened, my question was, how long is this going to last? And my breakthrough was when I was with uh, my husband in the car in Bordeaux, in a big town, parking, coming out of the parking, getting lost. And you know how you are in the car, a little stressed. And then my husband said something to me, a little kind of unpleasant comment. And I felt unpleasant. And generally, you have unpleasant comment on one side, then the other side, unpleasant comment back. And, and then I did not react and say anything. And I thought, he said this, the situation is unpleasant. I am experiencing an unpleasant tonality. That's what we call it. And I thought, how long is this going to last, this little unpleasant thing? And so I waited. And actually, it lasted two red lights. And then it was gone. And that's when I realized, small star, you don't need to do anything. It will, in a way, pass by itself. But then there is a bit your stuff. That's different because there is a little more density. And so it's kind of like we have little kind of thing within us. Uh, and one of my... Uh, best one long ago, but really kind of showed me that was, I am a gardener, I was at the gardening center, but I am not very bright sometimes. So I was not acting properly at the kind of the bigness of the season, lots of people, lots of cues. And the lady said something like, you know, are you stupid or something? You know, you have to move on, you have to kind of get yourself together, people are queuing behind. So I kind of, oh, okay, okay, okay. So I kind of got myself together. And I left. And generally, when you have something happening like that in daily life, you think, I will never go to that shop again. Which I did not think that. I thought, wait a minute. How long this is going to last? And so time to time, I would check. And then the feeling by itself lasted like it was like, what does she think she is? And, you know, come on. You know, you feel a little kind of, you know, yourself, little kind of unpleasant. Lasted for about an hour. Then the feeling go, went, but then I checked the thought. And then whenever I thought about the incident, then the feeling came back and that lasted for an hour. And so, and after two hours, it was gone. Actually, it was gone. And that's where I saw, ah, yes. If it's kind of, you know, it's kind of really kind of hooks you a little. 
it's going to last a long, a little longer, but again, it can pass. Because in the, it doesn't matter in one way. Then if you think about it, you can see how you can feed it or not, and how you experience it again. So that was interesting for me. And so, but then when it's intense, it's kind of like more, kind of like it's part of our history. And so it's more, not that you let go and you would never think about it or you never have memory of it, but how can I creatively engage with that? The loss of that or the pain of that. And hopefully it has passed because I think there is a difference between something painful which has passed and we're like, ah, this is past. And so at the beginning, you think just a relief, it's past. But then there is a problem of thinking, ah, but it happened, ah, it happened, ah. And so it's nearly like you relieve it. And so it's kind of a tricky, not to say it did not happen, it happened, but to kind of be reminded of oneself, it's gone, it's gone, it has passed. So it's kind of like this, it's a different type of letting go. But of course, if you are in the middle of it, this is very different. If you are the middle of the pain, the middle of what's going on, then that's more what I'll talk about uh, this afternoon. Like you are in the condition and that in a way, what is it that going to help me to be with this, to handle this? And then do you perceive a difference between letting go of emotion, physical feeling and thought? Well, it depends how we wired. Because some people are more, in a way, triggered by thought. Some people are more triggered by sensation. And some people are more triggered by emotion. But all of them will be together. I mean, they all will generally come together. But it's true. We might be more affected by some people who are anxious. I would say, actually, they will be more affected, some of them, by physicality that their sensitivity is raised. They have more alertness. So you know, it's kind of like uh, there is this physicality connected to awareness of danger, one could say. Or you can have things which are kind of like more you ruminate and the rumination, the thought actually kind of leading to a certain emotion or sometimes you kind of, you know, you taken over by an emotion. And what I think is important is back to, is it light, is it habitual, is it intense? Because the, I think what will be more difficult is the intense. Because when we have uh, intense emotion, intense sensation, intense thought, this is really difficult. I mean, it's kind of, how can I be with this? And I think we have to be careful to think there is one let go. I am in this intense emotion and I must let go. No, if it's intense, it has to go through the system. So it might take a day, it might take a week, it might take a year. I think it will depend on the condition. And then the thing is also about um, how I bring friendliness to my letting go. 
So not thinking of letting go as eradication, but how can I meet this with friendliness, with creativity? And in a way kind of understanding, oh, I am feeling this for good reason. I am not feeling this because, because either there is internal condition, there are external condition. And so if the condition don't change, uh, it's going to be very hard uh, to, to have a, a letting go. But there is also the aspect of letting go is creatively engaging with the condition. So in a way, what it means creatively engaging with emotion, with physical feeling, with thought, where they are intense. And so I would say, actually, one of the key is when it's light, learning to creatively engage when it's light, learning to creatively engage when it's habitual, because that will be much easier. And then in a way that gives you the tools so that when it's intense, then I can adapt some of these methods. But I would not just think about letting go just in terms of intensity, because that is the hardest place to do that, but really to train ourselves in just little stuff, habitual stuff. And then that comes in handy when there is intensity. And with intensity, to see that it's going to take some time. It has to go through the system, through the emotions, the thought, the body. It has to go through the system. So in a way, a little, I think in letting go, there is patience. Patience that sometimes things take time to slowly, slowly dissolve and change. Okay. So now... Uh, this is a general meditation question. Uh, I tend to get a certain surge of heat when meditating, especially when deeply relaxed. So I wondered if you could help or advise. So I'm sorry to say that, but as long as it's not the menopause, <laughs> because you can get hot and hot in meditation, but if we can put that aside... At one level is when we sit in meditation, we can have different things happening to our body. And this can have a little bit uh, to do with how we meditate, but also to do with what's called proprioception. It's kind of like uh, one of the sense we have outside of the kind of eyes, ear, nose, etc. We also have this sense called proprioception, which is a sense of our body in space holding itself. So in meditation, this can be a little challenged, uh, proprioception, because generally we move. And so proprioception is kind of like always kind of adapting the balance and kind of a little in advance, kind of checking that everything is in order and everything. And then when we sit in meditation, we kind of challenge that a little bit, especially if we focus in a certain way. So not everybody will get hot. Uh, me, when I sit, I don't know why. When I sit, I move a little. I, I, I just, 
I did a course and I was feeling, filming myself and noticing, yes, I do move. When I sit, I think I sit still and actually I am moving like this. Why? Possibly it's a proprioception trying to kind of uh, making sure you are not too, too immobile and then it disappears. So I think when we're sitting, we will have little kind of thing of that nature in different ways. Personally, the thing about the heat would be as long as you don't get too hot and as long as it passes. That's what I would observe more. Is it like this all the time? Is it like this during the whole of the meditation? When I stand up from the cushion, does it continue or does it stop? So this is what I would look at in terms of that. Otherwise, I don't know, possibly very pragmatic, open the window and then maybe it kind of that will uh, cool you enough. Otherwise you would have, uh, in order to really kind of see what's going on, we would have to talk privately and then you would have to send me an email from my website. Then, so I find that the minute I start following my breath, I also start to unconsciously control it and the breath start to feel artificial and natural. I wonder if this is part of the process and what, whether one gets better at following without controlling the breath with more experience. Yes, yes, because you see, we generally breathe and we don't think about it. And we only become aware of the breath when actually we go, <laughs> or we kind of, you know, there is a little problem, it's a little different. We sit in meditation, we bring the attention to the breath and immediately it's like, you are doing it. And what is interesting about the breath is that in a way it's semi-automatic. I mean, I can't, as far as I know, I cannot do anything with my liver. Uh, I mean, I can damage it, but I cannot order it to do anything. But with the breath, in a way we can let it be or we can purposefully do different things with it. And so, of course, as soon as we focus on the breath, it's nearly like the, we activate the doing mode and then it's kind of like I'm doing it and it's artificial. And yes, over time, you know, it's kind of we, the thing which wants to do something when being focused on an object start to decrease and just it start to let it be. And so what I would suggest is that either you see the breath as waiting for the breath to happen. Also that you don't have to do the breath in any way specific. Or otherwise, personally, what I do in terms of the control, I try to be, if possible, more aware of the sensation I experience. So the air coming in, the air coming out. So instead of more like the movement, which I could be controlling, just being more aware of the sensation. Or sometimes people say to be aware of the sensation of the abdomen expanding, contracting. So you could play with this, but yes, over time, we kind of lose, we let go of the control and then it kind of really, we let it happen by itself. But it takes some time, it takes some time, especially at the beginning. So uh, creatively engaging versus ignoring 
as a mean to de-amplify. Personally, I think there are many different ways to creatively engage. So you can creatively engage by doing something about it, or you can creatively engage by accepting it, or you can creatively engage by putting it to the side. And there is this wonderful sutta in the early text uh, where the Buddha gives five methods of dealing with difficult things. So in a way, five methods, you could say, of letting go, five methods of creatively engaging. And the, the first method is a little bit about the perception, you could say. He says, can you, with a small good thing, kind of, kind of uh, make the difficult thing disappear? And he said, like a carpenter, there is a little kind of a piece of wood stuck in a big piece, and then with a little kind of thing up, it unstick it. So in a way, it's like you hear the sound of the car, and then you think, oh, this is a terrible sound, or you think, oh, a nurse is going to help a patient. So in a way, uh, one good example is um, you're waiting for somebody, they're late, and instead of thinking, who do they think they are, and what about me, and you think, oh, uh, what has happened to them? Maybe they have good reason to be late, or it's, nowadays you can phone them, of course, if it works. So it's kind of like bringing loving kindness to kind of look at the change of perception. The next one is seeing the danger of the thought. And that we'll talk about this more this afternoon. It's kind of seeing if I am triggered in that way and I'm going to continue with this loop, then I'm going to go to a really difficult place. So can we not go there? It's a bit like kind of, you know, you wait for somebody uh, 10 past nine, you know, they're late. Uh, 9.20, they don't love me. 9.30, nobody loves me. 9.40, I hate the world. So, you know, you, you from a kind of a little point, you could get to a very dark place. Poor me, poor me. So in a way, to be careful of that, to be careful in a way of your dangerous thought. Not all the thoughts are dangerous, but some can be triggering. But I'll talk more about this this afternoon. The third one is actually this one, the ignoring. The Buddha, if sometimes things are difficult, just put them aside. Don't look at them, ignore them for a little while, and then come back in a way to them fresher. Then the fourth one is question. Question what's going on. Question the condition. So really in a way questioning what's going on but in a really fresh way. And then the third one is restraint in the way that, you know, like if you think, oh, I'm going to kill that person, then maybe restraint, or I'm going to tell them like it is and might not be a good idea, restraint. So in a way, it's kind of giving these five different methods. So yeah, this one, ignoring as a mean to de-amplifying, but it doesn't mean that later on, you're not going to address it, but right now, maybe you need to leave it a little bit aside. I'll talk more about this this afternoon. Then, is, is there anything particularly helpful for someone 
with emotionally unstable personality disorder. So borderline. So uh, this is very difficult because again, this diagnostic is a very tricky diagnostic and a lot of people are protesting. Actually, I'm following lots of different people on Twitter and they're really kind of questioning that diagnostic of uh, BPD, borderline personality disorder. So that aside, uh, when people which have this kind of experience, what is difficult is the intensity. And so when there is this intensity of feeling, intensity of thought, and also often the thought are negative and the emotion is very negative, so it's really painful. And the people I have worked with in terms of meditation with that uh, of course, it's good to also take uh, your medication and things of that nature. But in terms of the meditation, that the meditation before the crisis happens can help with the calm. Also, the loving kindness to oneself can also help before end. So that when one is in the middle of it, one can remember, I have been calm. I have been able to have loving kindness for myself. But one of the very important thing is change. Very much to kind of like be very aware when you're okay. So that when you're not okay, you know, you have been okay. And this can pass. And I know for people I'm working with, with that, that is very helpful to know. I have dealt with this in the past. This is so difficult. It seems so impossible, but it has passed in the past. And at the same time, trying to, even within the intensity, trying to find some calm by doing a little bit meditation on the breath, but also very much, if one can, meditation, loving kindness meditation can be very helpful. And at the same time, as a friend, it's very important to be there. I think... Uh, what people feel this intensity, there is also intensity uh, with relationship. And so I think what is very important is to be, I would say, a, a good, calm friend, which is able to be there for them. Of course, you also have your limitation. All of us have limitation in terms of different things, but in some way to be steadily there so that there is this constant kind of person, not 24 hours a day, but once a month, once a week, or when there is some difficulty, in a way there is somebody who is there for them, who can listen uh, to them, who can help a little bit with the calm and with the loving kindness. Okay, the sutra. Uh, the sutra I refer to is the Vitaka Santana Sutta. Did somebody put it up? And it could be the one the person is referring to. It's a very short text. It's a wonderful text. I like it very much. Uh, do you have any suggestion on how to creatively engage with the mind when it doesn't want to stay with the meditation object for more than a few seconds at a time? 
and continuously distract itself with all sorts of distraction. Here, I would say, first, find the object that seems to settle you more easily. So is it the breath? Is it the body? Is it the sound? Is it to recite, may I be happy? May you be happy? May you be safe? So in a way, I think not all the object will resonate in the same way and will help us to focus in the same way. So I would recommend first to find the one that comes more naturally and might be easier to focus with. That's the first thing. Then one has to look at the condition. Am I in a condition when actually there is a lot of intensity and just sitting with the intensity is really not going to be helpful? And then it might be better to do walking meditation in nature, for example, if that is possible, or lying down, listening to some music, which kind of, again, is going to calm me, and then being aware of the body. So I think it's kind of really uh, what will suit you and what state you are in. Also, I think kind of checking with the posture, checking with the object, and seeing not... Uh, meditation is not a cure-all in terms of the sitting meditation. And so to see what is best. Otherwise, if you sit and you have lots of thought, then just be patient with the thought. Just be aware of the thought coming and going. And then the thought becomes the object. That also can be done, as long as you bring friendliness to that. Uh, so here we can, our time is up. So briefly looking, uh, I would like to hear your thought about the process of grieving and letting go. So I think there is a difference between sadness and loss leading to grief. So sadness, I think, can last a long time because you lose someone which is dear to you and you're sad about it. But when the loss happens, then you're going to have a very intense feeling for about, I would say, a year and a half, six months, a year, a year and a half, when uh, it will actually be very physical and you will cry for any reason and et cetera, et cetera. And then that slowly, uh, normally this passes. But again, it depends also on the other condition. If you have good condition in terms of being financially okay and having all friends and etc., and then the grieving process can happen in that way. But if uh, you lose someone and then on top of it, uh, you have difficult finances, etc., etc., and feel very alone, then it could take a much longer time. But of course, I would say the meditation can help us just to be aware, okay, that's what I'm feeling. And then again, being careful with not amplifying it. And then is there, and then we stop here and then we can have a discussion this afternoon. Uh, is there a letting go process that can be used for a lifelong cycle, which is almost wired in such a codependency? I think there is a difference between what we call uh, being codependent and influencing each other, enriching each other 
sharing each other. So I think in a way, if one is in a loving relationship with a child, with a partner, uh, with a friend, with an animal, uh, with nature, I mean, in a way, uh, this is about relationship. How do we relate? And then the question is, are we grasping at the feeling uh, the relationship gives us? Are we grasping at the person? Are we grasping, what is it we're grasping at? If there is grasping. Because I think if we, uh, I think relationships are very important to cultivate, uh, to care for each other and to influence each other in different ways. And then to see if there is some grasping within the relationship, what is it I am grasping at? Am I grasping at the feeling? I am grasping at the uh, person? Am I grasping at, it, it depends. So I think this is what I would uh, investigate there in terms of letting go and creative engagement. And then I have become increasingly aware of repressed rage fueled by impatience. That's not going away despite offering loving kindness and self-compassion. I feel like I need to meet it more strongly to match its energy. So uh, sometimes, uh, either due to our biological makeup or due to conditions, we have lots of energy. And if we don't choose that energy, then it's going to be going in kind of really different kind of ways. And then sometimes the energy in a way can feel like repressed rage or impatience, and it can manifest as impatient. I mean, this we can notice in daily life, you know, uh, either to oneself, either to others. Um, and so in a way, I would say, when is it kind of like, you could nearly say kind of some energy and you don't impute anything to it and it makes you do things and you might be a very active person. And when is it that you stop from doing all these things? I think COVID was very bad for certain people for that, to be stuck at home. And when you are kind of person who need to meet lots of people and do lots of things and be very physical, then it's really, in a way, repressing. So in a way, it's kind of like to investigate what's a feeling, uh, what's a thought around it? When is it happening? When is it not there? And also to explore. I would say, uh, of course, you can always explore this thing in therapy, but I would say explore it in dance, explore it in running, explore it in using that energy. So you have to see, is it like more bodily energy or is it like more feeling thought? So it's kind of in a way learning its texture learning its conditions. And I'll again talk more about this this afternoon. And I have to stop here and thank you very much. It was very nice. And thank you for your uh, very interesting comment and questions. And then uh, we meet again this afternoon at uh, 2.30 UK time and 3.30 French time or Spanish time. Okay. Keep well.